One of my favorite sayings about Christmas is that Christmas is not about date, but about the state of a mind. Christmas is not about date, but state of a mind. Christmas is a more than seasonal celebration, but a spiritual calibration and concentration. Through the incarnation of a Son of God, we come to see who God really is and who we are truly supposed to be. So Christmas gives us the gift of God that guides our heart to true glory. Amen? Christmas gives us gift of God that guides our heart to the true glory. And I want you to know God's true glory comes from his humility. The God of Christmas is a God of humility. So in one of his letters, St. Augustine said this, If you ask me what's the essential thing in the religion and discipline of Jesus Christ, that means the Christian faith, I shall reply, first humility, second humility, and then third humility. We all know that the Bible says that God is a love. But not many realize God's love is manifested through his humility. Through his humility. Humility is a radical character of God's love. Humility is a radical and rare because no other Greek philosophers and Roman thinkers ever considered humility to be a virtue. For them, humility belongs to slaves and their inferior life position. It is only by God's revelation we know humility is a virtue. And today, I want us to learn fresh, anew, about the true meaning of a humility. The true humility from Philippian hymn so that we can celebrate Christmas not only seasonally, but steadfastly throughout the year. So with that, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, responsively. So I'm going to read unnumbered verses. You read even number verses. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and let's, sing to, uh, let's read together. Every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. This Philippian hymn, the Apostle Paul quoted, that means it existed before Paul actually wrote the Philippian letter. So it's not written by Paul. This Philippian hymn has been the most beloved and the most important hymn in the New Testament as well as our early Christian writings. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, 
This is the most important song of a Christian history, in entire Christian history, entire scripture. Do you hear how humongous statement I made? This is the most crucial, Christological, comprehensive hymn about God's love and then how much he loved us and saved us. I sometimes wonder, those of you musically talented people, why don't you make a melody for this incredible you know, uh, uh, poem or song? We lost the original melody. I hope one day we can sing this beautiful, this incredibly important you know, hymn with a wonderful melody. Now, here we learn not just about true humility, but true honor of a life through Christ's holy humility. If you understand the humility of Christ and undertake the same attitude or mindset in your life, you will be glorifying God as Christ did. So Paul said in verse 5 in the beginning that in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ has. So here, this passage gives us not just a you know, profound, but practical, practical truth about humility that we can really love one another and also love God with all of our heart and mind and soul. So today I want to share with you the three truths. Three truths about Christ and his humility for our holy life. The first truth is this. First and foremost important truth about Jesus is that he is the eternal God. Therefore, humility is a divine character. Humility is a virtue because it comes from God and it is a divine character. And why does it matter that humility is a divine character? It is because you and I made in God's image, according to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. And we are made, we are created to be like God. And when we behave and become like God, that's when we are happiest in our heart and the most fulfilled at our core. You know, everything human beings are inspired and are willing to imitate comes from the image of God. It's like a fish is the happiest in the cleanest and the best kind of water. Now, if I'm a too philosophical or esoteric, let me back up and explain slowly the implication about this first truth. New Testament Christians and Apostle Paul confess that Jesus is eternal. That means he pre-existed before everything else existed. Jesus is different from all other human beings' entire human history. That is, he's a more than human. He existed before everything else existed. You know, sometimes Christians, you know, receive this question from uh, non-believers that are, why, you know, Christians are, you guys make, a, you know, Christianity is so exclusive. They say they don't recognize other religions. You know, no one can be saved except the name of Christ. No one can come to God except through the, you know, the Jesus, the way, life, and the truth, whatever. You're so exclusive. All the exclusive claim about Christianity comes from this unique, exceptional identity of a Jesus Christ because he is the eternal son of God. Amen? Whereas all of the religious leaders, they are just great human beings. 
That's the difference. So when you, somebody asks you of an exclusive claim of Christianity, point out to Jesus. Is it because of him we make this, you know, so, you know, claim must be closely, you know, verified through him. Now, that's what the hymn emphasized with the phrase in the very nature of God. Literally, the very nature of God means in the form of God. And the New Testament consistently claimed that Jesus preexisted as Son of God before he was born of a Virgin Mary. So if you look at John chapter 8, when Jesus talked about his authority, his authorities are greater than all Jewish patriarchs and the prophet because Jesus said anybody who hears the word and believes in him will live forever. So Jewish you know, people say, are you greater than Abraham and all the prophets? And this is what Jesus said. Very truly, I'll tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. You know, interesting thing is that Jesus, it's a, you know, uh, grammatically incorrect. Jesus should have said, I had been. But Jesus said, I am. Why? Jewish people know I am means Yahweh. When God met Moses in burning bush and Moses asked God's name, God said, I am who I am. That's a Yahweh. And Jesus said, I am Yahweh. I'm the one who met Moses. I'm the one who was with a furnace of Daniel's three friends. And later, John chapter 17, Jesus' last prayer to Father before his crucifixion, Jesus said this. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Once again, our Lord existed, pre-existed the universe as his creator. And we saw in Colossians' study that Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, in him all things hold together. Christ is creator and sustainer of the universe. And Hebrew chapter 7, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of the days of the end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Talking about mysterious priest name, high priest name of Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrew said, Melchizedek, the ultimate Melchizedek is a Jesus Christ who is without beginning and without end, and alpha and omega of everything, the Christ, our creator. So, regarding this eternal identity and divine status of Jesus, the Philippian hymn, once again, not just saying that Jesus is in the form of God, but clarifies something familiar to his original you know, readers, the people of ancient Greco-Roman world, in verse 6. That is, if you look at the verse 6, that uh, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Why is this hymn kind of put this kind of strange expressions here? He's trying to say Jesus didn't achieve divine status like those heroes of Greek mythology. Because of Greek mythology, people like heroes like Hercules, Achilles, Odyssey, and Hector, you know, they achieved a great thing, and the Greeks believed that when you achieved a great honor through power, then you become God, and you shine in the sky. And that's why they named so many stars after this, uh, you, know, you know, human heroes who became a God. 
And this hymn was saying that Jesus achieved the divine status, not by some kind of deed, because he is God himself. So, better translation of verse 6 is actually this. Because Christ is very God, he did not need to consider equality with God, something to be grasped or exploded. Many of your Bible actually use the word even though, although, although. You know, NASB, ESB, they say, you know, even though he was God, he did not take equality with God and humbled himself. That's actually bad translation, you know, on this verse. Why? When you use the word though or even though, it kind of implies the contrast that, you know, Jesus, you know, even though he was God, although he was God, he became human and humble. It implies a humility, some kind of temporary, you know, a condition for God. And I want you to know clearly today, humility is character of an eternal God. Humility is a divine. Humility is not temporary stuff. Humility, I say, the character of a triune God. For instance, God the Father was a humble. When he was looking for disobedient, sinful Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When God came to Adam and Eve after they disobeyed God, what did God do? God asked them very dumb question. You know, ignorant question. Where are you? What kind of almighty God doesn't know where his people are? God asked that uh, very ignorant question, seemingly very ignorant question. Why? To give them a chance to confess and be forgiven. God's humility is there from the beginning. And then, you know, Sam talks about Holy Spirit today. What did Jesus say about Holy Spirit? If you look at John chapter 16, when Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Jesus said he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Actually, what Jesus says, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Holy Spirit speaks and then exalts Jesus instead of speaking on his own. And that is a humility of a triune God. Our triune God, love each other, serve each other, exalt the other first. So humility is a divine character. And I want to tell you, Bible says God is love. Can you have a love without humility? You know, Paul said love is a gentle. I want to add that love is a gentle and humble, not a cocky and rough. So humility is a divine and eternal. And then, so, I want us to know this. Uh, earlier, Apostle Paul said to, uh, told the Philippians in verse 3 and 4, the true meaning, the true practice of humility in this way. He said, do, not, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. C.S. Lewis made a beautiful definition straight out of this verse. He said, humility does not mean you think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. Humility 
doesn't mean you think less of yourself, but you think yourself less. That means you think others need before yours. It is an expression of love. It's not an expression of the denying your own self-worth. Amen? Let me move to the second point, second truth. That Jesus entered into humanity permanently, and because of that, humility is a redemptive. Let me read over 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, Jesus made himself nothing. In Greek text, literally, is that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. What does it mean that eternal divine Christ emptied himself? It did not mean he stopped being God or he suspended some divine attributes or characters. Jesus is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So when the Bible said that Jesus emptied himself, it means, listen to me, he added something new to his person. Something new. Something, what is something new? Completely unnecessary and unworthy. And that is none other than humanity. Jesus added the human nature to eternal person. So eternal divine Christ became human for good through incarnation. So this hymn makes the two incommensurate realities into one mystery. So at the verse 6, he's, you know, the hymn said, Jesus is a very nature God. And then verse 7, but he emptied himself, took the very nature of a servant. In Greek text, the word nature is a form morphe. You know, uh, 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 what is that? The metamorphosis, the morphe, the form. It means upon his incarnation, son of God became a son of man for good. So in Christmas, Jesus actually added a human nature to himself. Jesus entered the humanity permanently. You know, often Christians think that Jesus became a human temporarily, only to die on the cross as a God sacrifice for forgiveness of our sins and return to his glory. But you know what? Bible tells us that Jesus retains his humanity even after the cross. For instance, he retains the scars in his hand and side. He still ate the meals with the disciples even after resurrection. And he promised that one day we will eat with him at the ultimate wedding, wedding banquet. After resurrection, you know, Jesus actually perfected the humanity, especially human flesh, with a, his a new resurrection power and the body. And guess what? Jesus also promised a resurrected body for all of us in one day. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, last Sunday, we talked about God of homecoming, and today we are talking God of humility. Christ emptied himself to make a home in my heart, in your heart, in our humanity, to make our heart his home. For good, this is a Christmas message. Now, for that, 
Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. We must remember here again, Jesus was not humbled by someone else. He humbled himself. Why? Nothing or no one is stronger enough to humble a subject to Jesus, subject Jesus, except his love to save us. So this is what it meant that he humbled himself means that his humility is a redemptive. You know, Christ was not humble only to God, but he humbled himself to sinners. To restore sinners, Jesus took our nature to own our sin problem and pay the price of our sin on the cross and ultimately redeemed us. Amen? Christ, Christ, used the humility to redeem us. And St. Augustine beautifully preached this in one of his Christmas sermons. So let me just uh, you know, read quickly. Man's maker was made man. He, the ruler of stars, my nurse at his mother's breast, and the bread my hunger, fountain thirst, light slip, way be tired on his way, that the truth might be accused of a false witness, the teacher be beaten with the whips, the fountain be, um, foundation be suspended on wood, the strength might grow weak, the healer might be wounded, the light might die. In Jewish uh, rabbinic tradition, there is a story of a prince and, uh, who fell into a deep delusion about his identity. So this prince became convinced that he was not a human being, but a chicken. So the prince took off all his clothes, sat on the table, ate only chicken food, and even clocked. His father and mother consulted all the physicians and counselors, and no one could do anything to change his situation. So finally, in desperation, the king and queen turned to the famous rabbi known for his wisdom. And rabbi agreed to help. Guess how he helped him? He took off all his clothes, joined the prince in sitting under the table and ate the chicken food and began to clock with prince. This situation went on for some time. Eventually, rabbi said to the prince, this chicken food is getting old. I think I'm going to eat something else to eat. I think I'll have some human food. How about you? And the rabbi began to eat, and soon the prince joined him. Obviously, you know, human food is better than chicken food. You know, time passed as they sat naked under the table, clocking, eating human food, and one day rabbi said, it's a bit cold under the, this table. I'm going to put on the rope to keep warm. What about you? He dressed, and eventually the prince also put on a rope. Time passed. Finally, the rabbi said, it's so crammed under the, this table, so I think I'm going to stand up and stretch. How about you? The prince said, but I'm a chicken. And now I'm eating human food and I'm wearing a human clothes and, and talking. If I stand up, no one will know that I'm a chicken. The rabbi answered, you know you're a chicken and I know you're a chicken and no one else needs to know. You know, in this story, the wise rabbi enacts the power of imitation in a counterintuitive way. 
Rather than saying to the, you know, deluded prince that imitate me, the rabbi first joined in the prince's condition. He shared a cramped space and cold and pitiful chicken food, and he enters into prince's world, and only from that shared standpoint, he invites the prince to imitate him in response. I'm hungry. How about you? I'm putting on some clothes. How about you? And so forth. And theologians call it it's a reciprocal, mean-meaning interplay, but simply means through the relational bond, this prince is slowly restored to his humanity. You know, there were some Christians in the early church that asked this question that, why didn't Jesus come to, why didn't the you know, Son of God come to this world as a baby? Why didn't he come as an adult? Just like all Greek heroes, you know, I mean Greek gods, you know, Apollo, Zeus, they all came, they also incarnated, right? Greek mythology is full of uh, incarnations of God, right? And then when God came, they all came as a human, you know, some kind of adult, and then enjoyed whatever, did, whatever they intended and they left. Why did God come to our world as a baby? And the second century church father named uh, Irenaeus from Lyon, he answered this way. He said, Jesus was born as uh, all other human beings and they lived at every stage of a human life to, un to undo all the damages the first Adam did to us and to heal us that every stage of every human life from birth to death. We call it, fancy word, the doctrine of recapitulation. That means that Christ became who we are to heal us and make us holy and saved and wholesome. Amen? So let me go to the third and final truth about uh, humility. That will be the, uh, the, the, the highlight of the true biblical meaning of humility that I want all of us to learn and recognize. That is, Jesus entered into humanity permanently so that he ultimately exalts humanity. So he, Jesus' humility is not only redemptive. Redemptive means ultimately transformative. For that, let me read verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many people think that this passage, talking about Jesus' return to heaven and celebration of so-called is a mission accomplished, it's like, uh, you know, our college students or grad students came home after the final and now you definitely earned the right to eat uh, all the food you want. You know what? This is more than Jesus returned to his uh, glory once he had in heaven. After incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus ascended to heaven not simply as a son of God, but as what? Son of man. Son of man. It is a God-man, Jesus Christ, who is exalted here. So as a Jesus identified with us through his incarnation, guess what? Everything he achieves is ours. Everything he did is ours. Do you know? 
including His glorification and exaltation, is our future and our destination. Here we see the humility is not only redemptive, but transformative. And here I want us to see the true divine humility. That is a humility in the Bible is an empowering, enabling, and actually ennobling, ennobling. You know, word humility came from humus, the Latin word for soil, earth, ground. So we think that, so, so humility literally means grounded, you know, unpretentious, tractable, you know, you know, tractable, you know, tractable the ground. So teachable, things like that. So we think simply humility primarily as a not cocky, you know, sort of absence of arrogance, you know, almost opposite of uh, uh, confident. That is a humility. And uh, that's why, and so, you know, Westerners, they are uncomfortable with the word humility. So I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, say, don't use the use in my opinion. Don't say that. That sounds very, you know, too uh, lack of confidence. So don't say in my opinion, you know, say strongly, I believe. You know, that's how Americans speak, you know, they, they exert their, you know, whatever opinion. And then, you know, Asian, I'm an Asian background. Asian background, you know, they say, oh, humility is a good thing. Confucius said, humble to your parents and your king and then your teacher. You know, humility is a good thing. I want to tell you, biblical humility is a neither. It's actually more and higher. Because humility of a Christ actually shows that Christ lowered himself to exalt the sinners and humans. Christ is not a humble to only God and good people. Christ is a humble to sinners, to transform sinners with God's glory. That is a true humility. All right, let me illustrate this. You know, this is the last time I think I'm going to use a, a World Cup illustration. Today was a good day for Argentinians, horrible day for Brazilians. Because, you know, that's their dynamics, you know. When Brazil win World Cup, Argentinians, they mourn. When Argentinians win World Cup, Brazilians, they, they lament right now. And, uh, you know, uh, most people, soccer fans, you know, people who know soccer, we want Argentinians to win. I use the word we. Because uh, Messi is the greatest player of all time. He's a goat. He's a goat. And uh, he is a natural prodigy. I think he's a son of a, you know, a, a son of a, a soccer god. And, uh, you know, Argentinian, uh, uh, they call him Messiah. You know, they call him Messiah. The one S. And truly, they are delivered by Messiah today. He scored two goals. Now, but that's not who I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about different soccer player, a name of Son Hung Min. Okay? Why? Not because he's a South Korean. He is not naturally talented like a Messi, but he's unbelievably dedicated to training like a Ronaldo. So his nickname is Sonaldo, Sonaldo, you know, Sonaldo. And he was the first Asian player ever to win Golden Boots 
the award for top scorer for English Premier League, which is the most successful, most difficult professional soccer league in the world. And it's my prediction, we will not see another player like Son Heung-min from Asia, at least from South Korea. You know why? He has something no one else has. What does he have? He has a father dedicated to him. Can you show the picture of the father? Son Heung-min's father was a former soccer player, retired early because of an injury. When Son Heung-min was a three, uh, third grade and told his father he wanted to play soccer for his uh, you know, career, his, uh, you know, as a vocation, and father said, so you want me to train you? And you will do everything I said? And says, absolutely. I promise, promise, promise. With that, they've been playing soccer together all day, every 365. And this picture you are looking is when he was 16 years old. And when he was 16 years old, the German professional soccer club called the Hamburg, you know, SV, they kind of uh, selected him and trained. And then, if he's good, I mean, they recruit all the young soccer players all over the world. And those promising ones, they gave him a professional contract. So Son Heung-min went to uh, Hamburg, Germany at the age of 16. And the, he was uh, trained under, you know, with the youth team for three years. And Son Heung-min's father immediately sold everything he has and joined the son. And they stayed, uh, you know, hour near, you know, just an hour away from the club, the training ground. It's out of nowhere. You know, you don't build a soccer soccer field in the middle of downtown. That's too expensive. So you go in the, you know, out of nowhere, right? And uh, Son Heung-min's father, he got up every morning, and sometimes Son Heung-min stayed with his uh, hotel. We're talking about hotel, we're talking about youth hotel kind, youth, what is it, youth hostel, kind of cheap hotel. And then they train together for, in the morning. And then he dropped his son to the uh, soccer place, I mean club, and the whole afternoon, six hours, of Son Heung-min get trained. And what was the father doing? Just like many of us who dropped our kid to the, you know, music lesson, did we go to the Starbucks and then, you know, thinking about, I hope my children remember how much I preciously sacrificed my life on my precious Wednesday, three hours of a Wednesday of the week. That's what I was thinking. And why couldn't she move, you know, always a cello number, cello chair is always number five. It never moved, you know. Oh, I, she's not even proud. Well, anyways, you know, I said, I hope she remembers. One day I hope she will pay me all this, you know, times and energy. And I'm a, such a great father. Yes. You know, I'm better parents than my wife. Yes. You know, she's not here. I'm here, you know. I mean, you know, in, the, in the Starbucks for three hours. Guess what Son Heung-min's father said? There was no Starbucks around the club. And the parents or no family can allow to stay in the club. So everybody has to leave. So children, you know. He didn't leave. He went to the right next to the, play, the, the, uh, the training ground. There was a big tree. He stood there. He watched his son's practice for six hours every single day. And he said the hottest time is uh, fall and winter. 
Hamburg is in northern Germany, so it's so cold. And when it rains, the wind is so slow, he said, uh, you cannot hold the umbrellas. So he finally found that the best way to bear weather, stand the weather is to just big under the big tree, just standing there. And not only there, he's watching his son's training with an eagle's eye, trying to find a way to improve his player. And the next morning, right away, he corrected him, and they played together. And Son Heung-min's father, he said everything he asked his sons to do, he practiced first, whether it's feasible and good. Even weight training. That's why that guy is over 60 years old, but his physics is incredible. I saw his physics, actually, and incredible. That's why I'm telling you, we will not see another Sonaldo. Because he, no parent, no father is dedicated like him. So, Son Heung-min is good. His father is incredible. Incredible. And the point I'm trying to say is this. Son Heung-min's father reminds me of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself. He emptied himself, emptied his schedule, emptied his you know, bank account and everything to simply what? To empower his son. So I, not, I don't have a Son Heung-min, his father, it's okay, but I have a Jesus Christ. How about us? Jesus gave us his humility not only to save us, and glorify us so that we can serve others with his holy humility. You know, today's message ends in the verse 12 and 13. Paul said, therefore, continue to work out your salvation with the fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. What is a God's good purpose? God wants us to use a divine humility to serve and save and transform others around us. Humility is not just, uh, you, know, you know, I'm nothing. No. Humility that Christ showed us is to embrace others and then lift them up. In order to lift them up, we are willing to kneel down and even to the cross. Amen. Work out, let us work out our salvation. We're not talking about going to heaven. We are talking about joining Christ's saving work. Christ is using your humility, my humility, to save our VIPs and our MIAs. And then see them to see, see them that God's love for them. Today we're going to sing a song of dedication. Uh, that is Mary Did You Know. It's a well-known you know, contemporary uh, Christmas hymn. And uh, before we sing, just this, this melody is great also, but uh, I want us to really uh, read the lyrics first and sing from the bottom of our heart. Because, you know, good song, I think a good Christian song, or even good theology is always made up of questions rather than declarations. This whole song is made up of questions. It's not only to Mary, to everybody you know, who hold Christ in heart or believe or whatever. So let's read together. On count three, let's, you and I, let's read together. One, two, three. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? 
Mary, did you know your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to the blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nation? Did you know that your baby boy is a heaven's perfect land? The sleeping child you are holding is a great I am. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are God of humility. We thank you for sending your son as a human baby to forgive and adopt us as your children. We love you, Lord, and we love your humility more than any glory in this world. You not only saved us, but honors us with your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to Mary to conceive Son of God for the world. Now come to each one of us again so that we can conceive Jesus in our heart and feel his presence in our life and grow with him. Help us to glorify God with a true, divine, redemptive, transformative humility of Christ. In the most humbling, honoring name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this hymn, this song as a prayer. <laughs>